Welcome to Rocktown Emergencies, a podcast that focuses on emergency services in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. It includes law enforcement, fire departments, rescue squads, volunteer and career, and others throughout the emergency services industry. Now, here's your host, Paul Helmuth. This week is a special week for Rocktown Emergencies because we have two episodes being released for the 2019 Firefighter Safety Standdown. Safety Standdown runs from June 16th through the 22nd and is a joint initiative between the International Association of Fire Chiefs and the National Volunteer Fire Council. The focus for this week is firefighter cancer. For the first of two episodes, Deputy Chief Matt Toby and I spoke with Chief Brian Frieders. Chief Frieders has been in the fire service for 29 years. He's a deputy chief with the Pasadena, California Fire Department. He's been an instructor for the Virginia Fire Officers Association and an instructor at the Northern Virginia Fire and Rescue Leadership Development Institute. He's also been with the Firefighter Cancer Support Network for 14 years and the president for the past five. What does the Firefighter Cancer Support Network do? So the Firefighter Cancer Support Network is a nationwide nonprofit that lends assistance to firefighters and their immediate families who have been diagnosed with cancer. And what we mean by support is we will pair them up with a firefighter who has had a similar type of cancer so that they can sort of mentor them and shepherd them through their journey of survival. In addition to that, we provide a toolbox that has a survivor's guidebook that sort of helps people navigate through the doctor's appointments, the questions that come up, uh, gives them a chance to journalize and chronicle their journey through the survivorship of cancer. Um, we also do a lot of education and awareness across the country. Uh, as you've seen in the past, we've uh, had a white paper we published in 2013 that had uh, 11 recommendations for firefighters to minimize or reduce their risk of cancer. Um, we participate in a lot of the research and uh, oversight committees for NFPA, uh, for some of the major teaching universities. Uh, we have great partnerships with the IFF, with the IFC, uh, the NBFC, and we're essentially just their, their arm of uh, cancer prevention and awareness. How is the Cancer Support Network funded? So it's uh, in-kind donations and sustaining partnerships. Um, there's a lot. We have about 15 sustaining partners, uh, all the way from equipment manufacturers um, to just philanthropic folks that donate to our cause. Um, we have a lot of uh, departments across the country that do fundraisers for us in the form of fill the boot campaigns and other sorts of uh, events that raise money. Um, we're an all-volunteer organization. We have one person who's paid, and that's the one who keeps track of all of our, our business dealings. Um, but essentially, it's it's the good nature and the support of these uh, fire departments across the country that do these fundraising events for us and uh, the, some of our sustaining partners that help us navigate through and, and deal with um, the, the, the epidemic of cancer that exists in the fire service today. Hey, my, uh, Brian, thanks so much for uh, coming on and spending some time with us today, man. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that everyone's aware of the fact that the Firefighter Cancer Support Network was created by firefighters for firefighters. Can you just speak uh, about Mike for just a minute for me? Yeah, I'd be glad to. Um, so Mike Dubron is the founder of the organization. He's a uh, Los Angeles County firefighter paramedic. And at age 39, back in 2005, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. And throughout his treatment at one of the universities, he was offered the opportunity to participate in, in, in you know, groups that would sort of be a support group, you know, that had folks from all different walks of life and every different occupation that were dealing with a similar cancer that he had. And what he found during his journey is that, you know, that, that feeling of being alone and that feeling of not really knowing what's going to happen next, you know, really was, was plaguing him and, and beating his ability to survive. 
And so during those times, he would attend these support groups and, and really wasn't getting any from them. So, you know, somebody suggested, hey, you know, let's pull our organization and find out how many of the members of the county fire department actually have cancer and see if I can talk to one of them and just to get some insight and some intel on what he should expect. When he did that, he realized there was 70-something firefighters that were within his own organization that had dealt with similar cancer that he was dealing with. So he reached out to one of them and talked to them and what their what their treatment was and what they had to go through and some of the challenges they had to go through. And it really helped him understand what he was having to deal with and what he should expect. Uh, and maybe not necessarily the identical treatment modality that he embraced and, and, and encumbered as a result of this diagnosis, but certainly someone to bounce ideas off of and, and kind of get a general expectation of what was coming and even some of the emotional things that were going to come with it. You know, having to, he had to go and tell his 12 year old and 10 year old daughter and his wife at the time that, you know, I'm going to probably not survive this. You know, at the time stage four colon cancer was a death sentence. Um, I'm very happy to report that today Mike's a survivor. He's a 14 year survivor of cancer. And from his experiences through that support network that he had with his own organization, he created the Firefighter Cancer Support Network. And since then, we've grown to about 155 mentors across the country that are firefighters who have had cancer that we rely upon to pair up with individuals that are recently diagnosed and kind of help shepherd them through their journey. Um, it's, like I said, it's a, it's a nonprofit or a 501c3. Um, we rely heavily on uh, external donations to help us with our toolboxes, to help us with the publication of our guidebook that we're giving to all the survivors, and to really help us with the education awareness programs we put out across the country. You know, Brian, I really appreciate your extremely kind words and thank you for that. But I don't think it's an overstatement to say that, you know, Mike's uh, work in this area has really spurred the entire American Fire Service to be talking about cancer in a way that they never spoke about it in the previous 200 year history of our of our fire service. So, you know, when you talk about the ability of one person to make a difference, uh, I think Mike is a true embodiment of that. So, so thanks for saying a few words about him. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's really interesting to watch how the fire service has really embraced this cancer issue. Um, I, with maybe the exception of the bloodborne pathogen issue back in the 80s with HIV and hepatitis, I don't think I've seen the fire service turn as quickly uh, as it has as it relates to cancer. So um, I think Mike's uh, pioneering work has really uh, brought forth a, a tremendous change in the culture and the behavior that the fire service is now uh, taking on as it relates to cancer and prevention. With with all of the cancers that the firefighters are experiencing and the different types, what kind of strategies are out there to decrease the chance of developing cancer in an environment that's ever-changing? I think the culture of the fire service is sort of one of the impediments to a real positive change. You know, we, for the longest time, really thought that having dirty, filthy turnouts or a melted helmet somehow gave us a badge of courage or was or somehow perceived as, you know, something that is noble and made us better than everybody else. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm as guilty as anybody else is. You know, I didn't wash my turnouts after a fire because you know, I want to make sure that the B-shift saw that we actually did work and all they do is sit around and play tiddlywink. So, you know, I think that for, for us as a, as a fire service in general, the culture of, of trying to, to be cleaner and have a clean body and have clean turnout gear and, and breathe clean air really is something that's been embraced nationwide. The game changer, I believe, is when we published our white paper in 2013, it had 11 recommendations. Recommendations. And out of those recommendations, the only one that had a cost attached to it was the recommendation for a second set of turnout gear. 
everything else, and I'll, I'll list them for you. Wearing your SCBA during overhaul. You know, too often we wear the SCBA very cavalier. And even today you see on social media someone behaving foolishly by not wearing their SCBA during overhaul or not wearing their SCBA during a food and stove call or a car fire, a dumpster fire. You know, those have significant amounts of toxins that we're being exposed to. You know, taking a shower within the hour after a fire, you know, doing gross field decontamination at the scene rather than waiting till you get back to the station, you know, doing a brush off or a hose off of the gross decontamination of your turnout PPE and um, your um, uh, your SCBA. That, that, that's the key. And if we can keep doing stuff like that, that's going to really help us reduce the risk. You know, making sure you have a clean cap, you know, making sure that your skin is clean after you, you finish being in an IDLH environment, getting medical examinations on a regular basis, making sure that you're asking the questions and demanding the, the recommendations that NFPA is publishing for a good physical examination on an annual basis. Uh, stop using tobacco. You know, I'm, I'm astonished in, in the modern day fire service that we still allow folks to smoke on duty. And, and I would like to believe that that's you know, prohibited, but it happens. More importantly, uh, what I see more commonly is firefighters chewing tobacco. We know for a fact that tobacco causes cancer. Many states have presumptive laws in place to protect firefighters from the, the, the financial travesty that occurs when you get diagnosed. Yet we still have these cavalier behaviors as it relates to tobacco that I think eventually is going to preclude someone from receiving that benefit. Um, so those are some of the cultural changes I think the fire service needs to really take a little more uh, a closer look at and embrace. But for the most part, the, the, the 11 initiatives that we offer really uh, are common sense, no-cost items, except for the, the second set of gear. So there's also, and this is, this is, I know, a discussion that we've had in our department. There's other recommendations out there that other companies have had, whether it was related to technologies or something that people can bring into their department. One of them I know that was brought up here over the last year because we had talked about renovating one of the fire stations was, you know, can we put a sauna in the station to help, you know, move the toxins out of the body? And the issue that we had and the reason we didn't support it at the time is we haven't found any science that supports it. What can you talk about those kind of technologies out there and how they're being advertised? Yeah, you know, I think with any big change in, in a paradigm, uh, with, especially with the fire service as large as it is, like, you're, you're going to find folks that are going to try and take advantage of, of the epidemic. And um, I think saunas, if you look at the, the, the research that the sauna manufacturers have given folks and, and allowed them to sort of buy in on, really are all manufacturer-led studies. None of them have been scientifically validated, peer-reviewed, journaled. There's nothing scientifically that I've found and that I think the my colleagues would agree have found that that really substantiates the claim that the sauna does any good. In fact, um, what the, the notion in the science community is, is that the, the sauna may actually be counterproductive for someone um, that has just been exposed to significant amounts of cardiovascular exercise. Um, the, I know the common sense uh, thinking would be that, well, yeah, you're going to sweat out all the toxins. And I think that science has proven that you actually don't sweat out the toxins as quickly as you think you are. In fact, I, I want to say, and I'm not positive of this, but less than 1% of the toxins in your body are released during the process of exercise when you're sweating. So, and in fact, that the toxins that still exist in your skin may, may be uh, rapidly induced back into your skin as a result of that exercise in the sun and that kind of environment. 
Then there was another discussion at sauna and related to saunas that we you know the, the low temperature, the, the moderate temperature with the bike in it. Uh, and then the question becomes, well, what about the oils that are in the bike that are now in the atmosphere? Is that uh, something that you're exposed to? How How is that going to be productive? So, you know, I haven't seen any science that would validate um, or and even allow anyone really to endorse the use of a sauna as it relates to the the reduction of cancer and exposure. Um, I do believe that in, in the future there will be something perhaps that would that would help us to reduce our exposure. I don't see the sauna as one of those uh, measures, but um, you know the science community we rely heavily on them to, to tell us whether or not something is relevant or valid or it works. And so far, I have not seen anything scientifically based, legitimately scientifically based, that would that would um, substantiate or corroborate the sauna manufacturers' claim to be effective. You know, and I think the same thing goes with the dogs. You know, there's there's a group or two out there that are using cancer, allegedly using cancer-sniffing cancer dogs. Um, you know, again, I haven't seen any uh, relevant, legitimate science that, that says that the dogs can sniff out cancer. You know, but, but what I will say in disclosure with that is, you know, dogs sniff out seizures and can recognize all sorts of things. So my hope is that someday that they will have a dog that has the capability to be trained to sniff out cancer. That would be, I mean, fantastic. Same goes with scans, you know, life scans, CT scans, MRIs. You know, there's there's really nothing that we've seen that I've seen anyway that would that would substantiate that uh, the claim that using a life scan of any kind is really something that is beneficial to a firefighter as it relates to a preventative measure for cancer. Now, that could change. I know that that's being looked at in the science community very heavily right now. Um, I do think there is some some good that comes from those scans, but I just don't know whether or not we have embraced any one type of scan or any one type of ultrasound or one type of, of examination that really is the, the benchmark for detecting cancer in firefighters. You know, Brian, you talk about the, the fact that there is so much buzz about cancer, and I think one of the things that really resonates with firefighters is that while there's a significant number of firefighters who may or may not know uh, a fellow firefighter who has suffered a cardiac event, when you ask a group of firefighters in a room to raise their hand if they've ever known somebody who has cancer, almost every single hand goes up in the room or, or every hand goes up in the room. And, you know, there's a, there's a recognition, I think, of the fact that, you know, that that's a very real risk. And firefighters are often looking for that, that silver bullet, that one thing that can help them be more resistant to cancer. But in reality, it's, it's the total package, right? So it's, you know, it's healthy lifestyle, it's healthy eating, it's taking a shower, it's separating yourself from the carcinogens, it's doing all of those things, but it's a, it's, it's a total comprehensive response of preparedness to make it more likely that you're resistant to uh, developing a cancer as an occupational disease. Yeah, I, I think that's a very good statement uh, that, that you make. Um, it, it is not just one thing that's going to prevent cancer or help you mitigate it. it it's it's uh, the totality of behaviors and circumstances. And that starts from, you know, obviously a reasonable diet, a reasonable amount of exercise, um, and, you know, uh, the lifestyle choices that you make certainly contribute to, you know, your proclivity to, to get cancer. But 
from an occupational standpoint, the, you know, the behaviors that we've, you know, sort of embraced as a culture for so many years need to be stopped. And I think that the importance of uh, a fitness program, the importance of a medical exam, the importance of using the 11 recommendations that we have for reducing your risk, I think collaboratively will certainly reduce someone's opportunity uh, to get cancer. There's been a debate nationwide about, um, you know, cardiac versus cancer, you know, what's killing firefighters? And, you know, Denise Smith, who's a super good friend of mine from uh, Illinois Fire Services Institute, she's a, a brilliant researcher. Um, you know, we, we had this comment, and Matt, I think you might have been there when we were in, in Virginia last year. You know, we, we're not in competition with cardiac. You know, there's, there's unfortunately, there's really been no mechanism to report cancer nationwide until just recently with the adoption of the, the firefighter cancer registry. There's really been no mechanism for us to, to understand how many firefighters are actually dying in the line of duty as a result of cancer. And quite frankly, you know, I don't really, Denise and I both agree that who cares who's winning that battle? What we do know is that cardiac is a significant risk to firefighters. Cardiovascular collapse and cardiovascular issues are our leading cause of firefighter deaths. There's no question about that. And so is cancer. And both of those things have ties to each other that, that we need to address. And, you know, I don't, I, to me, it doesn't matter who's got more deaths from whichever ailment. I, I think what's important to focus on is they both are significant. They're both substantial risks to firefighters and their well-being. And we need to take immediate action to reverse uh, the epidemic that exists with both. You know, uh, Brian, that's a great point. You know, we're talking this week because of the uh, safety stand down, uh, which is the joint effort between the IFC, NFPA, NVFC, uh, who are all uh, on an annual basis picking a single topic to uh, have fire departments focus on. And so this week, the Harrisonburg Fire Department is focusing on this issue but it's really an, an ongoing effort. And, you know, we unfortunately here in the Harrisonburg area uh, had a, a captain in a neighboring jurisdiction uh, pass away very recently of cancer. Uh, and uh, many people knew that individual. And, you know, a, a big tribute, I think, to him and to the ongoing effort to, you know, address this issue is to do everything we possibly can where we can. Uh, at the level that we're operating. Uh, I know that the Cancer Support Network is always looking for individuals who are interested in being advocates. I know that Virginia has a statewide coordinator, uh, and I know that we are uh, deeply committed to reducing the likelihood of one of our own getting cancer. So it's clearly an ongoing effort. Uh, we're focused on it this week, but I think we're also focused on it every single day. Yeah, and it's really good to hear. You know, one of the one of the things I made a comment on, and and uh, I think it was the the National Cancer Alliance meeting is, you know, this is really a leadership issue, and it, it, it warms my heart to hear, you know, good leaders in, in fire the fire service really taking this on and really making an effort to to take take immediate action to reduce the risk, and you know. If we're not bold enough as supervisors, as chiefs, as company officers to stand up and say, hey, you know what, I need you to, to take care of the things that we are embracing as safety. And one of those things, obviously, is safe driving, you know, wearing seatbelts, obviously, not using tobacco. But in the context of cancer, you know, we have to tell people, hey, look, you know, you've got this big wad of tobacco in your mouth, and I know you like it. And I know I, from a constitutional standpoint, we probably can't tell you not to, but I'm going to be unpopular here and say that's not okay. You know, when you have a rack full of dirty turnouts from a shift that was too lazy to go and wash them, and you don't say something about that, you know, you you become part of the problem. When you're not willing to stand up and say, hey, 
that behavior is not okay. You're going to put that face piece on, on that SCBA when you're in the overhaul phase. And I know it's uncomfortable, but you know what? Being uncomfortable wearing an SCBA during overhaul is one heck of a lot less comfortable or than having chemotherapy for six months. You know, and, and I'll tell you what, I, I've talked to cancer survivors across this country, and the, the, the general theme every single time is, had I known, I would have done everything different. And that is something that if I leave you with nothing else this evening, is everybody should be thinking about their family when they take off that mask during overhaul or when they're in an ideation environment. Every time they decide they don't want to put their turnouts or the washing machine, every time they think about using tobacco products, every time they think about not decontaminating themselves, they should be thinking about their family. And they should be asking themselves the question, how much is your life worth to you? How much effort is your life worth to you? Because that's really what it's all about. Brian, I, we're, we're running out of time, but I wanted you to talk briefly about the uh, Firefighter Cancer Support Network's app that you have that everyone can download. Yeah, so the FCSN last year, and we're just in the process of redoing that, but uh, it's if you go to the App Store uh, or wherever you buy stuff for Android, it's FCSN. Don't type in Firefighter Cancer Support Network. You won't find it, but if you type in FCSN, we've got an app available you can download on that app is essentially a way you can get help if you have someone that has been diagnosed that needs help that goes right to me directly and we distribute that to our nationwide network and you'll get a phone call back within 24 hours. We have a library of information there that has related scientific studies that has uh, samples of, of department policies you can use and, and take and, and uh I wouldn't say plagiarize, we'll use the term research and develop into your own policies. We have uh, several different articles and suggestions about how you can use best practices to bring to your organization these safe, these safe environments. Um, there's a whole slew of things on there um, that we would like you to use as a resource. So uh, again, FCSN on the App Store, uh, and hopefully you'll find everything you need. How uh, can people follow you or follow the Firefighter Cancer Support Network? So we have uh, on Facebook is uh, uh, FCSN National. If you want to go to Twitter, it's at FCSN National, all one word. Um, or they can reach out to me directly if they have questions. Um, as Matt knows, I take phone calls from everybody at all hours of the day and night. Um, if, if someone is in desperate need or they need immediate assistance, my cell phone number directly is area code 661-904-5075. And my email address is B-F-R-I-E-D-E-R-S at F-C-S-N dot net. Brian, uh, you know, you talk about the brotherhood and you talk about leaving the fire service better than you found it. I just wanted to say thanks a lot, uh, just personally first for uh, agreeing to come on and talk about this issue. I know it's one that's extremely close to you, but uh, I also just wanted to take a moment and just say thanks for all of the impact that you're making uh, every single day. Uh, it really does make a tremendous difference. And I know that uh, we are going to make a, a positive impact. And I agree with you 100%. It's not about, uh, you know, LODDs. It's about living a healthy lifestyle so you have a long and healthy life. So uh, thanks so much, brother. I really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Listen, you know, it's, you know, I'll conclude with this because we're out of time, but, you know, we always talk about what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind in the fire service? Um, and I think my charge is not necessarily to leave a legacy, um, but let's live a legacy. Let's live our legacy now so that we, we have a legacy to leave behind. So thank you both again very much. Uh, congratulations on your efforts and uh, look forward to seeing you guys real soon. I want to thank Chief Brian Frieders for joining us for Safety Stand Down Week this week. 
The next episode will be with Dr. Denise Smith, who's probably done more research on firefighter health than anyone else. Also next week, we'll talk about what we're doing locally to help decrease a firefighter's exposure to cancer. Until the next time, be safe. Thank you for listening to Rocktown Emergencies, a podcast focused on emergency services in the Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. You can follow Rocktown Emergencies on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find the podcast on most of your favorite podcast apps. If you want to email Paul, you can email him at paul at rocktownemergencies.com. Join us next time for Rocktown Emergencies and have a safe week.